Welcome to the Forward Healing Project. This is a weekly podcast where we acknowledge the challenges and grief experienced with infertility and miscarriage. Through honest and real talk, we will share stories, explore emotions, and seek healing by reclaiming, redefining, and renewing what it means to heal a hopeful heart. Welcome to the Forward Healing Project Podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Allen. I am humbled and honored to be a part of your journey and grateful that you're a part of mine. If you're not already following me on Instagram, I'm at Forward Healing Project and also Healing Hopeful Hearts. I've also started doing reels on Instagram under Forward Healing Project and you can follow that you can follow and you can listen to past episodes on any podcast platform you subscribe with. Any shares and ratings are always appreciated. This week, September 13th through the 17th, or 19th rather, is World Childless Week. There's so much that comes with being childless. In this term, childless, it's, it's different than child-free. Some people choose not to have children, and that's their choice. But those on this healing journey are childless not by choice, or childless by circumstance. This could be due to infertility, loss of a child, maybe someone doesn't have a spouse, maybe they lost their spouse or haven't found them yet. I wanted to do an episode on childlessness in particular because there's a lot of layers to it. And a lot of people don't understand the term childlessness. People understand infertility and miscarriage, but they struggle to understand childlessness. I'm not sure why. Maybe because they've never heard this term. There's so many levels here. Someone that has infertility or a miscarriage and goes on to have a child, they experience childlessness for a period of time so they can understand to a degree. But those of us that are childless and barring divine intervention will remain childless. It's all we experience. I said there's levels to childlessness. I don't have an order of what you experience, but... The thing I've come to learn is that it is ongoing and perpetual. At each stage of life, you experience the suffering a little different. There is the exclusion as your friends get pregnant and build their families and you're put on the sidelines because you don't have children. So there's events and conversations that you're left out of. And as your friend's children get older, it gets a little easier because your friends have more time and their children are not dictating their schedules. And that brings some solace. And then you get to an age later in life where your parents are getting older and you are naturally called to care for them in different ways. And you realize you won't have anyone to care for you this way as you age. Maybe there's a niece or nephew or maybe you end up in a caring community, but it's just you or just you and your spouse. And you realize no one is going to care for you the same way that you are caring for your parents. And I will admit there are times that I experience a little resentment when I need to do something for my parents because I'm reminded I won't have this option. And then there's the stuff. My grandmother's ring, my wedding rings, figurines my mother gave me, my journals, my books. Who will get my stuff? Maybe that's a silly thing to think about. I mean, it's just stuff but it's stuff that makes a legacy. I have a nephew and sometimes I make sure I'm extra nice to him 
Not only because I love him, but he's also all I might have. He's not even mine. I mean, he's my nephew, but you know what I mean. I try to think about Jesus saying, Amen, I say to you, there is no one who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive an overabundant return in this present age and eternal life in the age to come. He says, give up possessions, spouse, children, and you will be given an overabundant over return in this life and the next. That's a tough one to swallow on a good day. I mean, that's faith at its purest. Walking away from everything and everyone, trusting God will provide and provide in an overabundant way. What if we don't give up those things? What if we never had them? Does it still count? I'm not sure, but I hope so. But I return to this passage as a reminder that God does not want or need our stuff. He just wants us unattached. And I don't think he's asking us to abandon our land and family. He's asking that we just don't put them above him. Most of the time I can look at something and say, it's just a book. It's just a glass. It's just this or that. It's stuff. The memories are not because of the thing. The thing just reminds us of the memory. But we still have the memories without the thing. That's part of it. I know my legacy or anyone's legacy is not the things they have. Legacy is who we are, how we love, what we fight for, what we stand for. That's our legacy. And still yet the idea that as I, we age, the things handed down to us will not be handed down to our children can be painful. Another example, I'm reminded of an episode of Ted Lasso. If you've not seen Ted Lasso, you should absolutely watch it. It's on Apple TV and it's awesome. We all need a Ted Lasso in our lives. And there's an episode where the team is struggling and Ted makes up a story about a curse on the football, soccer for Americans, on the football team. And he tells the team that they have to have a sacrifice ceremony where they all bring something that means a lot to them. And together they share what that item is and burn it to release what's holding them back. I remember cringing when I watched this episode thinking, I'm not sure I could do that. Could I sacrifice my grandmother's ring? I think about men and women in religious orders. They leave everything behind. Family and friends. Stuff. To live a life of poverty. Some more than others, depending on the order, but to live on only what they need and only what benefits the community. It's radical and beautiful. I'm not sure I could do that, but I'm enamored by it and find something incredibly attractive about it. I think it's the strength that it must take that I'm attracted to, but maybe more so it's the community, the security. They will be loved and cared for as long as they age. There is love and safety. Love and safety you would expect from your own family and children. As the youngest in my family, and being childless, that security is threatened by simple probability. I don't think no one will care for me as I age and need assistance. I have faith God will in fact provide, but that doesn't stop me from allowing some sadness from entering into my heart with the unknown, and that I and other childless are faced with the fear that people with children most likely will never be faced with. 
I follow several childless blogs and social media accounts, and the concern of loss of legacy, it's a common theme. It's a common theme for a reason, because each year the realization that you will not have anyone to pass things on to, someone to care for you, becomes more and more of a reality. I also think about my parents. Thank God my brother has a son for my parents to have a grandchild, but there's a real guilt, regret, and sorrow that lives in my heart knowing that I will not be able to give them a grandchild. It's another loss. It's natural to have these feelings. I've played on Ancestry.com more than once, and I love hearing stories of my great-grandparents and their parents. And We're hardwired to want to understand who we are. And who we are is shaped by those we came from. And there's a biological need and desire to pass that on. So the fear and grief in not having that, it's very real. The loss of legacy, it's real. The fear of the future when you are faced with it alone or without children, it's real. For those of us that are childless not by choice, we have to grieve the reality that we will not have children. And then once everything feels a whole lot like acceptance and peace, we have to experience it all over again when we come face to the face with the realization that we will not have a child to pass things on to and to care for us. I got a little heavy, but that's the reality. It's like standing in the ocean knee deep in water. It feels safe. Your feet are on the ground. You could take a few big steps back to the shore, but you keep getting hit wave by wave can never quite stand up straight, never get your balance or catch your breath before another wave knocks you down. I suppose that's just life in general at times, but for the child that's not by choice, it's a constant. The loss of inclusion, the fear of the future, the loneliness, the envy is real. We spent our 20s, 30s, and 40s being envious and longing for a child And then you are staring into your 50s and 60s, realizing you will have to go through this all over again, as you will not have grandchildren. I heard a quote recently from Frances Frey. In her TED Talk about building and regaining trust, she was talking about authenticity. And she said, I hope that each person here has the beautiful luxury of representing difference in some context in your life. But with that privilege comes a very sincere temptation to hold back who we are. This is my bridge into forward healing here. We, the childless not by choice, childless by circumstance, we are different. And I love what Frey says, the beautiful luxury of representing difference in some context. We're different and we cannot hold back who we are because of it. I understand this temptation, the whispering saying that you are different. You don't fit in, hold back. Don't show them who you are. They won't understand you're less than it's a lie because the devil tells lies. He uses fear and pain to keep us from seeking our true selves. And I think that is the challenge and the remedy when things go sideways, when our plans take a U-turn, when we are derailed, separated from the pack and told to fear the future, we must seek to find our true selves. I'm a big fan of Richard Rohr. And he speaks and writes extensively um, about the true self. I love this quote. The true self is who you objectively are from the beginning 
in the mind and heart of God. The face you had before you were born, as the Zen masters say. It is the substantial self, your absolute identity, which can never be gained nor lost by any technique, group affiliation, morality, or formula whatsoever. The surrendering of our false self, which we have usually taken for our absolute identity, yet is merely a relative identity, is the necessary suffering needed to find the pearl of great price that is always hidden inside this lovely but passing shell. Fear, shame, guilt, envy, isolation. These are things that camouflage our true selves to the point that we forget what we really look like. We forget who we are. We spent countless hours and weeks and years searching for who we think we should be. And I believe if we can always seek our true selves, then these U-turns, these never-ending crashing waves, they lose their power over us. We need to seek to find our true selves in each phase of this journey. If we do this, if we work in seeking, knowing, and loving our true selves, and when we are able to, to see and be known to ourselves, our true selves, the stuff, the fear, the insecurity, they don't hold power over us anymore. And isn't that what this really is? It's about what holds power over us and what we give power to. I think that is what Jesus was saying in Luke 18. He was saying, if you want to have freedom, abundance, and greatness, you have to give up everything that holds power over you and surrender to me. Our stuff, our property, our legacy, even our friends and family can hold power over us, and we often willingly hand it over to them. And when we release that power to someone other than God, we lose a piece of our true selves. We begin to morph into the thing or person we give power to. And I'm not saying that there's not beauty in surrendering to someone else, especially a spouse or a child. There absolutely is. But we have to let that surrender be oriented first to God. Because otherwise we bury our true selves. We give power to something or someone other than God. And we suffer far more than necessary or intended. We worry about the future. We fret about who will get our stuff, who will care for me. I'm a planner. I like to have things in order. So letting go and trusting God, not spiraling into a what-if vortex, that's tough stuff for me. I have to work at giving the power over to God and not giving it to someone or something else. And I think perceptions can be that power. I'm in sales and marketing, so I hear and use the term control the optics quite frequently. We want to control how people see us. And I think we get wrapped up in that. I know I can certainly get wrapped up on that. In this journey, we want to control the optics so people don't see the mess. They don't see the hurt and the fear. We want to appear okay. We want to remain desirable to friends so that we are not isolated any more than we already feel. We want to control the optics, and with each effort, we lose a piece of control. We bury ourselves a little deeper. I started this episode as a reflection on the real fear and concern that comes with aging and childlessness. But this podcast is about finding healing 
redefining, renewing, and reclaiming hope. And that is where I think the work to uncover your true self needs to come into play. As I've said in the past, and which is no secret, we all suffer. We all have deep wounds, things that make us different, things that leave scars, things that change us. But we need to see clearly to find that, as Richard Rohr puts it, the interior diamond that is our true self. One of the ways we can do this is to pray for the grace of detachment. In an article written on ignatianspirituality.com by Becky Eldridge called The Grace of Detachment, she shares that the grace of indifference or detachment is often what we hope for in prayer. It is the place where we have surrendered to God the outcomes of our hopes, fears, and worries. And we trust God enough that no matter what happens, God's grace will be enough for me. And a place of detachment is a grace-filled place that despite the fear that can accompany it, brings deep peace and trust in God. I think we need to seek the detachment always. But especially as we get older and our plans are changed, our futures feel more uncertain as options and avenues narrow. We need to seek to surrender to God. This does not mean that you take no action or that you can no longer love or care. It means that proper discernment and prayer will allow you to be able to be detached from the power of fear, grief, and uncertainty because you trust God's plan and outcome for you. In another article in called Everyday Ignatian by Shannon K. Evan, Evans, Evans wrote that St. Ignatian said that our distorted attachment to outcomes gets in the way of loving God, others, and ourselves. He believed that the only way to spiritual freedom is to detach ourselves from the preferences and embrace things as they are, rather than dwell on how we wish they would be. Choosing detachment means loving what is. Choosing detachment means loving what is. That's really powerful. Loving our state in life, not as we want it, but as it is. That's spiritual freedom. And when we spiral with envy and anger and confusion and comparison, that fear keeps us captive. It kidnaps us from loving the present moment as it is. That longing for more, that ache for something different, that is the ache for spiritual freedom. Few of us, I imagine, have ever experienced real spiritual freedom or even know what it is. And that's what you're longing for. You're longing to experience spiritual freedom. I think this makes detachment and spiritual freedom a real forward healing tool. We can begin to speak, seek spiritual freedom by taking stock in our days. Ask, where did I allow my fear and negative emotions to control my day? Where did I feel joy and inspiration? When was I in a good mood? When did I allow my actions to be unloving? By starting to become observers of what frees us and what binds us, we can begin to recognize the path to spiritual freedom. And we begin to practice the detachment and let go and trust the outcomes of our possessions, our care, and our hearts to God. I have to remind myself of this often because there's a real temptation for me to worry about my things, worry about my legacy, worry about who I will be able to call when I'm older and need help. There's a temptation to grieve these things and to allow that fear and pain to separate me not only from my trust in God, 
but in my daily relationships with friends and family. So I'm grateful for St. Ignatius and his teaching on what detachment means and how we can use it in the desire for spiritual freedom as a forward healing tool. I'm grateful for Father Richard Rohr and his writings on the true self and the false self. For the record, Thomas Merton has quite a few writings on the true self, but I practiced some self-control and quoted a few other people. Our fears and pain and uncertainty are real, but we can find healing through letting go, trusting God, and seeking to find, know, and love the person God made us to be, our true self. Before I wrap up, if you're listening to this the day it comes out on September 14th, I just want to remind you that tomorrow, Wednesday, September 15th, is the feast day of Our Lady of Sorrows. I hope this episode brings you some forward healing. I hope you continue to walk with me on this path to healing and join me next week for a special guest interview with Courtney Warday, a fertility dietitian and owner of Abide With Me Nutrition. I pray for each of you, for your peace of heart and your intentions. I pray for your hope, happiness, and healing. I pray that you can find the strength to invite God into your heart and know and believe that you belong to Him. I pray that you can find healing in knowing His path for you is beautiful and grace-filled. Our Lady of Sorrows, Our Lady of Consolation, pray for us. <laughs>